Hello, you lovely, lovely people. Welcome to the BJJ Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Griffiths, and this is episode number 10. Now, I'm not celebrating episode 300, 500, 1000 as some podcast host may, may be at this point in time, but you know, for me, 10 is, it's the first milestone, I think. I'm quite excited with having got this far. It started off as an experiment. I, you know, committed to four or five episodes to see what the reaction was, to see if I enjoyed doing the podcasts. And, you know, both have been very positive, you know, very positive reactions um, from people. A lot of really good engagement from from the audience, particular particularly around the last one with the nutrition episode. People were, you know, very interested in um, you know, hearing about nutrition. And, you know, in those conversations, uh, you know, I've um you know, come up with the next topic today, which is recovery. Uh, you know, you got a lot, like I said, a lot of engagement over the last couple of couple of weeks, and recovery seems to be a big thing that comes up over and over. So that's what I wanted to cover today: is recovery, and it's recovery for jujitsu, but I suppose it would be recovery for any any sport for that matter. And I think it's it's an important, obviously, it's an important topic because many of you are asking for it, but it's also uh, something that you know if you if you don't quite get it right it can you know make or break your training i think and can really make or break how you feel about jujitsu if you're training all the time you feel beat up you feel sore you feel tired then you know it can be rough it can be rough we've got lives to live outside jujitsu and if you're beat up all the time and then you've got to go around your daily business and that, and that makes it hard it can kind of put you off the jujitsu anyway that's my that's my opinion so, as I said, this episode is going to be recovery, and let's get into it. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast, helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt. And physical optimization specialist Lawrence Griffiths. So I want to give a thank you to the Duncan Brown, or to Duncan. Um, and Duncan was one of the people that asked asked for me to talk about recovery, and specifically he he asked what do you do to promote recovery from training sessions. I know a lot of other people have asked, and apologies, you know, I should have got a list of your names, but you know, keep keep sending me the topics, and I'll try to get out as many shout outs as I can. The other thing I wanted to say thank you to Duncan for is. Uh, th- this this comment and this really blew me away in terms of the kind of feedback I've been getting about the show so far. And he says, "Absolutely loving the show, up there with my favourite podcasts currently." Uh, Duncan, um, really, really, you know, honoured and flattered for you to say to say that. Um, I was a little a little bit blown away uh, actually as well, a little bit surprised that you know I've been getting good feedback, but to hear someone say that, you know, thank you. And I, you know, I mean that, you know, very genuinely because I know that there's a lot of good podcasts out there. I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's some great material out there on on the interweb for you to to feast on for your years. Um, so to hear that, I was, yeah, thank you, Duncan. Um, you know, I've said thank you about <laughs> four or five times now, but that's you know, kind of you know what that means to me. So, guys, if you've got any other comments or feedback or you know any topics that you want to hear about. 
just let me know, right? I do try to engage with as many of you as possible and try to respond to all of your questions and comments. But anyway, let's get into recovery. Right, the recovery. Now, the first thing I'm going to talk about in terms of recovering from your training is the, the very, not the definition of recovery, but the very nature, the, the very fact that you have to recover means you're giving yourself something to recover from. If you were sitting around all day, you weren't doing any exercise, you were fairly inactive, your body's not going to have much to recover from. You're probably going to feel like crap because you don't move around. But, you know, I know that's, that's besides the point. I know that's not you. You know, you're training jujitsu and you want to know how do I, you know, promote recovery. And the first thing is, you know, what do you give yourself to recover from? If you're hitting the mats five days a week, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. There's one guy that I train with and he's, he's a fantastic competitor, um, Diego. Um, Diego, if you're listening, this is a shout out to you. Fan- fantastic competitor and someone who's you know, you know, fully dedicated to his jiu-jitsu. He did, I think, 16 sessions in one week. He was telling me 16 sessions over seven days. It's an incredible amount you know, on, on the body, to, uh, you know, incredible toll that you're putting on the body that then you need to recover from. So I'm not saying that, you know, everybody is going to be at that extreme in terms of 16 sessions a week that uh, Diego, I think you need a medal for that. Um, but, you know, let's talk about my training or what, what, I, what I see is very common for a lot of people, you know, jujitsu four to five times a week, then maybe two or three strength and conditioning sessions on top of that. Um, or even if you're just doing four jujitsu sessions a week or three jujitsu sessions a week, that, that's irrelevant. It's more how much are you able to recover from? If you're someone who's been a professional athlete or a high-level competitor in another sport, and then you come into into jujitsu, the workload that you're going to be able to take on and the workload that you're going to be able to recover from is going to be much, much higher than someone who hasn't been doing exercise for the last 10, 15 years. Maybe if you've been only exercising for the last 10, haven't done exercise for the last 10, 15 years, it's you know, two or three sessions is probably going to be a lot on your body and it's going to be a lot for you to recover from. It's a much bigger cost on your body in terms of the, the, the training load. So there's there's loads of examples and loads of different ways we could cut that in terms of, you know, if you train five times a week, you need to do this much recovery X, Y, Z. But it all comes down to you as an individual and knowing your body and knowing how much you're able to recover from in a certain period of, period of time. If, for example, if you've got a jiu-jitsu class 10 a.m. in the morning and then you go and do a really high-intensity interval training session, you know, 8 p.m. the night before, are you going to be able to recover in time to function properly in your jiu-jitsu class the next day? And yeah, I'm not going to dive into this topic too much because I cover it a lot in the very first podcast, planning your training. And the way that you plan your training and the way you structure your training is going to determine what you have to recover from. So it's a really important consideration. There's not going to be, you know, a, you know, a magic formula that suddenly allows you to recover from anything. It's all got a cost on the body and you're going to need to repay that cost somehow from the training that you do. So I would recommend you know, going back if you haven't already, listening to the first podcast and also listening to the the interview with uh, Mikhail from 
Omega Wave. I believe that was episode seven or episode eight. And you know, he, they, they, he talks a lot about training smart and looking at and listening to your body and when when you can and can't push yourself and the cost that will have. So that's the first thing I would throw out there in terms of recovery. Understand what you can recover from, and you know maybe you're giving yourself too much. Maybe you need to taper back. Not every day, um, you know, but some days you go you know, hard one day, light the other day, hard one day, light the other day, whatever the case may be. And over time, that's going to adjust as you adapt and you become, you know, your body adapts and you become more efficient in your jujitsu, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, what do you give yourself to recover from? That, you know, as I said, go back to episode one, listen to the, the interview with Mikhail from Omega Wave, and these co- topics are covered in much, much more depth. So that was, that, that's the first point. Then moving on from there, I think what's often overlooked when it comes to recovery is just the basics. And what I, what I mean by basics are good nutrition. And I'm not talking about supplementation. I mean just your core nutrition, you know, what you know, 90% of the food that you're putting in your body. Then hydration as well is another massive factor. And also, you know, good sleep. We, you know, we, we recover best you know, do, during sleep and sleep is massively important for hormone production as well, which is another really big factor in our, our body's ability to recover from exercise. So in terms of, you know, good nutrition and in terms of, you know, drinking plenty of water and hydration, I'm going to, you know, I'll put some links in, in, in the show notes around, you know, the, some of the articles we've got on bjjstrength.com. But the, the, the last episode, episode nine, went into nutrition in a lot of depth. And, you know, I, I guess, I hope actually that most of you have already listened to that. If not, maybe refresh on some of those points. But that's massively important is just good nutrition and good hydration. So I won't cover off all of that in detail again because, um, I don't think anyone likes to hear, hear, hear my voice so that much. They, they want me to hear it talk about the same topics, uh, you know, two weeks in a row. So I'll move on to good sleep. Now, sleep is, sleep is huge. Sleep is huge in terms of, you know, how we feel, the energy we have on a day-to-day basis, our hormone production, and, you know, most importantly for this podcast, how we recover from training. And, you know, you can... Easily, well, I'll, I'll talk about a personal example. You know, what I could do in terms of, you know, my training when I was, when I wasn't a father, because I, I know that, you know, I, oh, I knew that, you know, my sleep during the night would be more consistent. And more importantly, on the weekend, I could lie in till eight, nine o'clock in the morning and I could really get those big, long, uh, you know, would you call sleep a session? Maybe, but you could, I could get a good, long sleep session in on the weekends to help, you know, recover from the training. And I can't do that anymore. And I think most people listening are going to be in the same boat that, you know, when, when, when your sleep is disrupted, you realize how much harder it is to recover, how much less energy you have in the day to, to actually hit up your training sessions, et cetera, et cetera. So I think intuitively, you know, we all, we all know how important sleep is, you know, regardless of, of looking at any of the research. So that's just, you know, kind of a personal example for, you know, to bring it to life, I suppose. But, you know, how do you make the most out of your sleep? We all know that we need to sleep. We all know that we're supposed to get, you know, between seven and nine hours of good sleep per day. 
but how do we go about doing that? Now, what I want to do is give you, uh, and on my list, I think I've got about 10 tips that you know I, I, I follow, I've heard a lot, a lot of other people follow, that have a big difference in terms of, you know, on not only getting to sleep, you know, getting into a deep sleep, but also staying asleep through the night. Or if you do wake up to go to the bathroom, which I do pretty much every single night, um, you know, that ability to get back to sleep as well. So I've got a couple of things that have worked very, very well for me and I know have worked for other people um, you know, in terms of optimizing sleep that's then going to make a big difference in terms of your recovery from training. The first thing I want to talk about is called an acupuncture mat. Uh, it's also, there's a brand called Bed of Nails is another um, another thing to look for, but look for acupuncture mat. And it's essentially something that's, it's about the size of a pillow. You know, imagine, you know, uh, you know a pillowcase and you've got these small round discs on it, uh, you know, about an inch across loads of these small round plastic discs and I haven't got my acupuncture mat here in the in the studio but there's, there's got to be about you know about 80 or 100 of these small plastic discs all over all over this what looks like an empty pillowcase and each of these plastic discs has you know I haven't counted but 50 60 70 all of these small little plastic spikes and these spikes are, are about a millimeter in in length so you know, not 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 very big, um, but it, it gives this that kind of sharp, sh- sharp surface. While each of the, you know, each of the needles are uh, each of the spikes are sharp, I suppose. Um, but a, a spiky surface is is the word I'm looking for. So you get this big spiky surface like a bed of nails. Hence, probably where that brand name came from. And um, the idea is that you lie on the acupuncture mat. Um, without a t-shirt on, lie just well. This is the way I use it. I lie without a t-shirt on on top of the acupuncture mat, either on top of my bed, or I put it on the sofa, or I put it directly on the floor, and I will lie down on that for you know anywhere between ten and twenty minutes before I go to sleep at night. And I'm going to be honest; I don't know all of the science behind why this works, um, and. You know, maybe I'll look at maybe I'll look that up and link to it in the show notes. We'll see. But what I feel happening with my body is when I lie in this acupuncture mat, at first it's uncomfortable, right? Because you've you've got thousands of spikes sticking into your back, and it's, it can sound horrible. But you know, it forces your body to relax. It's a little bit like you know foam rolling, maybe, where you roll on top of a foam roller and you find that pressure point, and your your muscle is contracting against that tension. It's contracting against that discomfort. But your muscle can only contract for so long before it relaxes and releases, and then. When 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 you know when your muscles relax, it goes in a little bit deeper. Then the same process repeats and repeats and repeats, and you get to a point after oh, you know, two or three minutes, we can't even notice the spikes on your back. But it gets you, or it gets me at least, into a really deep, you know, um, a deep place of relaxation, and then from there allows me to get into a much better sleep. And I've even done it once, or maybe once or twice, where I've had it on my bed, and I'm lying on the bed, maybe I'm reading, and, you know, I fall asleep, and I've woken up four or five hours later still on this acupuncture mat, and it's I, I it's worth experimenting with. I think you can buy them probably for about $50, and Dave Asprey, um, 
the Bulletproof Exec, is that his Is that his podcast? He's a really big proponent of it. You can buy them from his website. You know, I've got no affiliation, but it's it's definitely worth experimenting with uh, in terms of a, a way to get to sleep easier, but also a way to get into a much deeper sleep as well. So an acupuncture mat would be the first tip I have for sleep. Now, the second, um, the second tip I've got is around light. And that's around, you know, re- mainly reducing blue light. Now, all of all of our electronic devices, or nearly all of our, our electronic devices, whether it's a TV, whether it's a laptop, whether it's your mobile phone, admit emit something called blue light that is, you know, being shown to be really disruptive to sleep. And there, are, you know, it seems like in the modern world that we almost can't avoid you know using using our technology you know my wife and i have a habit of you know as uh, it doesn't sound sad i'm quite proud to say this actually i was going to say it sounded sad but it doesn't you know we'll sit there at the end of the day and we look at the photos we've taken of our kids through the day and it's you know we we enjoy doing that but the problem with that is i'm you i'm looking at my phone right i'm, I'm getting that blue light from my from my phone so there's all these things that you know we try to avoid just what you know i like to watch netflix in the evening um, and, but you're getting blue light. You're getting blue light from these devices, devices that we use for entertainment, that we use for our day-to-day lives that could be reducing sleep. So what can you do to combat that? Well, one would be to cut out all devices about two hours before you go to sleep. But sometimes that's not possible. Uh, another option is, uh, I know you can do this for Mac MacBooks. I don't think you can do it for smartphones or do it for um, uh, Windows computers, but there's an app app called f.lux that reduces blue light that's admitted from from the laptop. And just through absolute necessity, I do a lot of writing and a lot of work on my laptop at night after the kids are in bed and using that that app as f.lux has made a huge difference in, in terms of how disrupted uh, my my sleep feels if I have or haven't used um, if I've been using my laptop in in the evening and I've you know spoken to quite a few people who've had the same result as well so that's the other option that you have and then you know a th- third option would be to there uh, you know buy and invest in some blue light blocking glasses I've never used them myself but here a lot of people d- you know, d- discuss them and they've been I've been looking at some products recently to buy and you know hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of reviews of people saying using blue light blocking glasses how much that can you know improve their sleep because you know like me um a lot of you probably sit and watch netflix or whatever the whatever it may be for an hour or so in the evening and i enjoy doing that i enjoy doing it with my wife and um i don't you know i don't always want to give that up uh so those blue light blocking glasses can be a really really good option there but you know, on 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 top of that, you know, if you, you know, just getting away from all those devices is going to be, you know, the easiest way to block that blue light. You know, thinking about audio entertainment or reading instead of watching something, um, and then you know, just reducing light in general. If you've got your lights or all of your lights on full blast throughout the house right up until you go to bed. Um, it's probably going to keep you awake. So, you know, I, I've got into the habit of 
really reducing the light down in the house as much as possible in, in the hour or two before bed just to help your body relax right and we're not not help your body relax but almost signal to your body that okay now it's winding down time now it's time for me to you know to get into sleep mode so that would be another really big thing is any way you can reduce blue light is going to have a huge impact on your sleep you should definitely should definitely should look into that now the next one is uh cold showers or an ice bath before bed and this is something that you may think is you know, very counterintuitive because you know a cold shower first thing in the morning wakes you up you know you get alert and you're like yeah right you're right you're ready to go so you're thinking do i want to do that just before just before bed now i picked this up from from tim ferris and from i believe it was in his book for our body and I read that, you know, six or seven years ago, maybe longer. And at first I was really skeptical, but it has, you know, it has an incredible difference in terms of the body, you know, just of getting into a deep sleep at night, having a cold shower. I think he recommends within about 30 minutes before, before going to bed. And here's my theory on, on how it, on, on, sorry, on why it works. Uh, one is going to be when we go into a cold shower, initially we, you know, we're quite tense. Um, or an ice bath were quite tense but then you know we're forced to relax against that tension you can only stay tense for so long and then you know gradually you relax so your i i find it gets me into a state of quite deep relaxation um but the other the other factor is that you know reducing your core body temperature is a big factor in you know how well you can sleep in terms of how quickly you can get to sleep on on the quality of it as well so that's the other thing that's probably going on there with the cold showers or the ice bath. It's bringing your core body temperature down, which allows you to get to sleep. So there you go. That's the next tip. Cold, shlou- cold showers. Cold showers. As you know, counterintuitive as that may seem, I would definitely you know give that a go. The next thing that, again, this is something I also picked up from, from, from Tim Ferriss. Um, so it's, you know, again, this is anecdotal, not backed up with research, but you know, I've used it and it works very, very well. I will get um, a non-caffeinated tea, so something like chamomile, maybe some you know, peppermint, some rooibos, whatever the case may be. And I mix that with a tablespoon full of honey and two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. And did I talk about this in the last podcast? I can't remember. But anyway, I will, you know, I'll mix, I'll I'll brew the tea, I'll mix in the apple cider vinegar and the honey. So two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, raw apple cider vinegar, and one tablespoon full of honey. And that, I I don't know why it works. I think even Tim Ferriss admits that it's anecdotal and he doesn't know why it works. But it really helps me get into a deep sleep and I can, and I drink that while I'm on my acupuncture mat to, you know, hopefully get, you know, a, a, a double effect. And one thing I think that's interesting about about the honey is that particularly if you're on a on a reduced carbohydrate diet or you're training very, very hard all the time, I know that you know one of the reasons that you can wake up in the middle of the night is because you get hungry. And when you when you get hungry, your body then becomes alert because it's telling you, right, I need to go and find food. So having the honey in the tea. Um, and I used to do this before I started drinking this tea. You sometimes have a tablespoon full, of, tablespoon full of honey before going to bed. Is something that you know just helps maintain, you know, your blood sugar levels throughout the night, and can make a big difference. Or whether you wake up in the middle of the night feeling very hungry and therefore alert, and 
you know, not able to get back to sleep. And, you know, even if you're on a low carbohydrate diet, one tablespoon of honey is probably not going to make a huge difference over everything else that you're doing if you're too worried about having that sugar. And the other thing that you can do, I find works very well for me, and if you're scared about the sugar, is a small handful of almonds, either before bed or what I I do on occasions. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's no massive rhyme or reason of when I do this and when I don't do it, apart from if I've noticed over a few nights that I've been waking up because I feel hungry or I wake up, go to the bathroom and can't get back to sleep because I feel hungry. I start to bring this back into to my routine and I will keep a very small pot of 10 to 15 almonds um, either next to my bed or in the bathroom, somewhere very convenient that I can grab easily without turning the lights on. And I get you know, I get those almonds and I'll, I'll, I'll snack on them while I'm going to the bathroom. And I find that works fantastically well at just satiating my hunger enough so I can get back to sleep. So that's another another thing that you could you could give a go. Then oh, uh, to go back to the topic of tea, there's a tea um, of val- valerian tea. So that's V A L E R I N, and valerian is a root that is. God, I've I've, I've you know. I, I drink this tea on and off. I don't always need it, but you know, for me, I think it's almost more effective than something like melatonin to get to sleep. It, if I, you know, you know, whatever you buy, whatever you bring into your diet, you do at your own risk. Um, if there, you know, there's there's going to be certain recommendations with, 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 you know, certain warnings that you know I need to put out there with. You're recommending a, a supplement that's going to potentially knock you out, but it's a natural herb, and you can, you know, you just buy this in more supermarkets. I'm not recommending anything here that's, you know, you've got to get a prescription for. Um, you know, a natural herb or natural herbal tea, valerian tea that I find works very, very well to 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 get me to sleep and you know keep and you know keep me in a deep sleep as well. So that's one other thing in terms of you know optimizing sleep. Then I'm going to rattle through some of the other things really quickly because I don't want to I don't want this to become just a podcast about sleep um but sleep is very very important for your recovery and the most obvious one is reducing caffeine after 12 p.m uh you know it's, it's a no-brainer I think caffeine can stay in your system for up to nine hours maybe so or maybe longer depending on what you look at but re- reducing any caffeinated drinks after 12 p.m is a no-brainer if you have any problems with sleep with sleeping and the next one is you know get up earlier if you get up earlier then you, you're going to be you're going to be more tired during the day and it might you know it might suck at the start but if you get up earlier you're more likely to get into bed and get you know get decent get decent sleep um and there is uh, I think Dr. Corey Peacock, I think was the guy's name, and he's one of the advisors to I forget which um, you know MMA school, but you know an MMA uh, school that school would you say MMA school? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that an MMA school that produces and, and works with a lot of UFC UFC fighters, and one of the things that he recommended for making sure they get enough sleep is they put the the training sessions early in the mornings which forced the athletes to get out of bed earlier which then forced the athletes out of the habit of staying up late watching another tv show whatever the case may be so getting up earlier um you you may think that oh that's going to give me less sleep but 
you know, not like not lying in and having a regular routine with your sleep, even on the weekends, can be a big, you know, it can play a big role in terms of getting into habits and getting into routines that therefore allows you to sleep a lot better. And then the last thing I'll talk about is any 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 techniques that you do to relax the body are obviously going to help you sleep. But I'll talk a little bit about meditation in, in a second, but specifically for before you go to bed you don't need to meditate necessarily you can do this now pick pick you can picture me sitting or lying or leaning on my acupuncture mat i've got my tea with the apple cider vinegar and the honey i'm watching netflix i haven't got blue light glasses yet but you know maybe i'll get blue light glasses which have these yellow lenses and then the other thing that i'm going to now mention is reducing your breathing and reducing your oxygen um consumption so you know how have that image in your mind and you you get an idea of what my wife has got to put up with um on a day-to-day basis but if you've not listened listened to the interview with patrick mccone um um the founder of oxygen advantage one of the things that he talks about is you know reducing your breathing for 10 minutes uh, 10 minutes three times throughout the day and one of the, one of them is to do it just before bed and what that does, when you reduce your breathing and take smaller and smaller breaths and breathe just from the diaphragm, it you know triggers the relaxation response in the body and really helps us wind down, um, you know before before we go to sleep, and you know reduces stress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'd listen listen to that episode if you haven't already. But any kind of breathing or meditation techniques that you can do prior to bed or any relaxation techniques are going to play a big role. So I would. There's what ten tips, ten tips that I've given you there in terms of optimizing your sleep. But just in general, if those don't work for you, think: Am I getting enough sleep? This falls into the basics category of, you know, good nutrition. That you know we've already mentioned, plenty of water and good sleep. Those are the three main pillars outside how you plan your training that you want to be thinking about in terms of recovery. Now, I would think about think about and focus on those three things first and foremost before you try anything else that I'm going to talk about in in, in this podcast I'm not saying that you should turn off the podcast and and go away but I'm, I'm saying that maybe you want to come back and listen to these other things at a later date once you've already focused in on good nutrition plenty of water and good sleep they are going to be the key pillars that are going to be you know central to any any recovery so but what else can you do? What if, you know, speaking to you, I know a lot of you've got very good nutrition. I know a lot of you have, you know, I ride up on the hydration and I'm, let's say you've got also got good sleep. What else can you do? What else can you do to improve your recovery and get an edge on your performance? Now, one thing that I'm a big proponent of is meditation. And outside the general benefits of meditation you know how how that makes you know me feel and i I, you know it's well documented right well documented how it makes you know many people feel the other thing with meditation and specifically related to recovery is it you're bringing your central nervous uh, system back down to to a relaxed state or a normal state a state of balance let's let's call it that but you're bringing your central nervous system back down to a state of balance and we've got to remember that all of the training that we do is a stress on the body 
we're, you know, we're spiking and peaking our central nervous system. And we recover best when we're at rest. So anything we can do, anything that we can do through any of these things we talk about here to bring our central nervous system back to a state of balance, bring us back into a relaxed state, is going to help, uh, is going to help with, with recovery. But more, more specifically than that, there, you know, if we look at, did, did some research, you know, coming into this, coming into this show, and there's one interesting study where they took a group of runners and they had three groups. They had um, a control group. One group did um, shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna forget what the second group did. But the most important one was they had a meditation group and they had a control group. So the meditation group would you know do their normal running. I think it was over a twelve week twelve week period. But they would also meditate um, and had had meditation training. And the control group just just did their normal running. And, you know, the, the main conclusion from this study was that medit- meditation training may reduce the lactic response to a standardized exercise, exercise bout. So what they, what they found in this study is that the blood lactate, le- blood lactate levels or the lactic acid in the body was actually less immediately after and 10 minutes after training the pe- f- um, with the people that had done the meditation and relaxation techniques. So it was a really interesting finding um, that it's not saying that if you, med- you meditate immediately after training, it's going to bring down the lactic acid levels. But those people that were you know, regularly practicing and were trained in meditation techniques and, you know, relaxation techniques actually had less lactic acid in their bodies immediately after and 10 minutes after the, the training. And that was, that's a fascinating finding. Um, I'm going to need to dig in, dig more into that, exactly the mechanics of behind, you know, why that happens. Um, but it's, you know, another piece of evidence to show that, you know, meditation is not only good for, you know, our day-to-day, you know, life and day-to-day health, but actually can reduce lactic acid, um, well, at least in this study. So I think worth consideration if you don't, um, you don't already meditate. Now, the, the next method that is, this is a very common method, and you know, I absolutely wanted to talk about this, and it's something I, I use. I use a lot of, I enjoy it, and I'll talk about why I enjoy it, but I also want to talk about the research, and that's the use of ice baths or contrast baths. So an ice bath would be a bath full of ice, or a contrast bath would be going from hot to cold, hot to cold, etc. You know, whether that's in a bath or a sauna, um, and then into cold water. Or I suppose you could do the same thing in a shower, cold water, hot water, cold water. And do you know what? When we look at the evidence of, you know, ice baths and contrast baths, it's, it's not really a slam dunk. In terms of in terms of the evidence, it's not a slam dunk in terms of ice baths. You know, massively increase recovery, massively in- increase muscle muscle soreness. Um, there's more that you know, you know. One of the several studies that I looked at, there's you know, it leans more towards contrast baths uh, being you know a better way uh, for the body for the body to recover um, than ice baths alone. So uh, yeah, everybody you you know, well not everybody uses them, but you see a lot of pictures of people jumping in ice bars, and you know, anecdotally, you hear a lot of people saying that it works for them. Um, 
and I'll talk about my experience in a second. But the research is a little bit mixed. And, you know, what I'm going to do, actually, for for a lot of these points, um, there's an article on bjjstrength.com that I'll link to in the show notes that, you know, links to some of the specific studies that, I, that, that I've kind of, you know, looked at um, in terms of, you know, looking at recovery. So maybe refer to that if you're interested in diving a little bit deeper. But ice baths and contrast baths, well, I, contrast baths, hot, cold, hot, cold, etc., seem to be better for recovery than ice baths alone. Um, but it's, it's a little mixed, right? It's not a slam dunk by any means that, you know, this is a silver bullet that's going to help you recover. But a lot of people like to do them, and I like to do them. Um, and here's, you know, my, my theory on it um, in terms of, I want to link it back to, you know, the central nervous system and when training, you know, spikes the central nervous system, the more we can bring it down to a balanced state, a relaxed state, the better we're going to be able to recover. And what I find with ice baths is you get in there, you're pretty, you're pretty tense at the start, but over time you just relax and you relax and you relax and it gets me into a very deep state of relaxation. And I, th- I think bring you that benefit alone is you know maybe worth doing the ice baths even if you look at the research and it's not absolutely certain um and also you know the placebo effect is is a very real thing uh, i didn't look at the placebo effect for recovery but you know we know that to be true for you know a lot of medication um and a lot of other you know drugs or whatever the case may be so ice baths contrast baths you know Take it or leave it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I contrast baths can be a little bit easier to handle because you go hot, cold, hot, cold. When you're already hot, the cold is a little bit, it's a little bit easier to handle. Um, but the contrast baths, you know, if we look at the evidence, tend to lean more towards uh, the recovery. Now, the the next thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about is an Epsom salt bath. So it's uh, you know. The evidence for whether Epsom Epsom salt baths reduce soreness and reduce pain is again mixed. It's not unequivocal that this stuff works, but just because we haven't got all the evidence in the world to back something up, it doesn't mean we should completely ignore it. And the theory behind you know placing Epsom salt um, or magnesium sulfate, I think you get that. I think pretty much that's the same thing. The, the theory behind putting the, the magnesium sulfate in the bath is that, you know, magnesium, um, you know, blocks pain and can reduce soreness in the body. So, you know, by putting it into the water, we absorb it into the body. And, you know, the theory is that's the effect that it has. But I don't think the mechanism has absolutely been proven. Um, but, you know, I've done it in hot baths. I've done it in cold baths when I'm having a nice bath. Um, I buy a, sometimes I buy a particular brand that's got lavender in there and it just, you know, it helps me relax. So if it works for you, if it helps you relax, get it does get rid of that tension. And if it's, the, if it's nothing more than a relaxation effect, I think that can go a long way in terms of helping you recover. But it's not going to be, it's not a slam dunk, right? It's definitely not a slit silver bullet. So, you know, what, what else can you do? We've talked about meditation. We've talked about ice baths and Epsom salts. What else can you do outside the three main pillars that I talked about in terms of good nutrition, plenty of sleep, um, and plenty of water? The, the one, not the one, the next thing that I'll talk about is stretching and foam rolling. Now, we could talk about these separately. I think I'd prefer to talk about them together. And foam rolling there again this 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 piece of research is is going to be in the article that i'll link to 
foam rolling has been shown to reduce muscle soreness and you know after you know muscle muscle soreness uh you know in terms of recovering from training and again it has that relaxation effect as well you know when you've got a lot of tension in your body you know particularly if you've got a lot of tension through your back that can make the rest of your body tense you feel stressed your central nervous system is not in a relaxed state you know on top of the research showing that it does reduce muscle soreness um you know just just that relaxation effect is you know is very very big um you know, I like to, you know, I've got um, two, uh, it's called the peanut from Mobilitas and it's two lacrosse balls essentially stuck together and rolling that up and down the spine, you know, after I've been working, you know, on the computer all day and training, it gets rid of a lot of tension in the back and suddenly I just feel a lot better, right? And that, that psychological effect and that relaxation effect is, is, is hugely important on top of what the research shows in terms of reducing, uh, reducing muscle soreness. Um, and I would... I would say that if you're going to be doing your, you know, doing the foam rolling or, or stretching at a time when, you know, you're not already warm in the evening, you're, all, you know, you, you haven't trained for a few hours, then foam rolling may be better than stretching, because uh, you know opinions can differ on this, but you know stretching when the muscle is not already warm can you know potentially cause you know micro tears in in the body. Uh, micro tears in the muscles and potentially cause more damage um you know the opinions kind of swing back and forth on that one but the other thing to think about with stretching is that if you if you've got particular stretches that you can do that where you it's you know you're in a very relaxed position you know fine but a lot of stretches to do them properly require a lot of tension to hold those positions so you know yoga is as an example, you know, one of the best methods of, of stretching, or at least one of the most popular methods of stretching, requires you to carry a lot of tension in your body as well to really work a lot of those muscles. So, you know, stretching isn't something that's done in, when you're in an, an entirely relaxed state. So, you know, more tension equals more load equals more stress on the body. So I think that, you know, I like to combine both. Um, if I've got particular particular problem areas, but foam rolling can be you know a good way to reduce soreness, a good way to improve mobility. It probably puts less stress on the body than you know just that you know, when you compare directly to stretching. So that's another consideration. The next thing that I'm a massive proponent of is ac active recovery, and by active recovery I mean any low level exercise. It's going to get you moving, but is not too strenuous on the body. So you know you're not really going to get out of breath. Um, you know you you only you know maybe break break out in a, in a light sweat, but it's not something that something you almost wouldn't even consider exercise. It's just getting active. So go going for a walk, um, swimming. You know swimming is maybe. It depends how good a swimmer you are, but swimming can be quite intense. But going on a nice bike ride um, and just moving the body. And when we get the blood moving around the body, that's when we get the nutrients to the muscles that the muscles need to recover, etc., etc. But when we look at the research, um, and I'm going to read this off here, so a combination of active recovery and cold immersion reduced perceived quality of recovery. And you know, further research has shown that active recovery is better than stretching or passive recovery when done immediately after exercise. I'm not going to read all of the details of the study. It's, it's again, it's going to be linked in the article that I'll reference. So, 
you know, I know personally just, you know, when I feel sore and stiff from training, I wake up on a Saturday morning, getting up and moving around, getting up and just doing some, you know, light mobility work, just moving their joints through the full range of motion, nothing too intense, getting out and going for a walk, you know, very lightly, you know, a very light, light bike ride works wonders for me just to get the body moving. And often I think, you know, the, it's not, not get the body moving to get the feel, the body to feel better. And often what we, you know, perceivers you know needing to recover is that stiffness is that soreness and you're like oh my body doesn't feel great but you start moving around and you start to limber up a little bit and I know personally I you know I am my body and how I feel you know improves very very quickly so you know that's my personal experience and there you know there's, there's research to show that you know when compared to other methods of recovery passive recovery and I forget the exact kind of I'm sorry um active recovery sorry i forget the exact forms of active, re- active recovery used um you know showed to be as good as other methodologies or better than other methodologies so it's something it's something to consider right we're all we all live fairly sedentary lifestyles most of the time you know too much sitting at a computer too much sitting to drive around and i'm uh, you know I'm, I'm guilty of that uh you know getting out and walking does you know does wonders absolutely does wonders so that's active recovery and now the, the other couple of things i'm going to talk about are i've got you know don't don't have as much experience in in the next few things that i'll talk about but i know you know they're, they're quite commonly used i hear i you know i know people i train with use them and i've seen people in the nba or the nfl use them and they've They've become um, trendy, for want of a better word, over the last couple of years. Um, And one of them is um, oxygen tent or hyperbaric oxygen chamber, I believe is the correct term. So that would be going into some kind of tent or some kind of room where you get, you know, very high, um, you know, saturation of, of oxygen and, you know, the idea being, you know, more oxygen, you know, more oxygen in the body allows you to recover etc etc um i'm but when you look at the data when you look at the research i'm using it's not a slam dunk a lot in this podcast maybe because the nba season's about to come up um but there's some data to suggest it works you know along the lines of the epsom salt baths and the ice salt bar and the ice baths sorry it's you know some people will say that it works other research says that it doesn't so it's Unless you've got a hype, uh, you know, an oxygen tent that you can use, um, honestly, for something that could be quite costly, maybe not something that I'd run to immediately. But the other, the other method of recovery that I've, you know, seen become very popular of, over recent years is cryotherapy. So that's going into a chamber. Sometimes it's only up to your neck. Sometimes it can be in the entire body, where it's um again i I'm, I'm not talking from experience here i'm talking from you know people that have, i know who i train with use it but also some of the research that i looked at um and i believe you're in this chamber and it, and it puts you down to you know very very cold temperatures i believe with the dry ice would dry ice be the, be, be the right term i don't know of the exact methodology i'm going to be honest but i wanted to talk about cryotherapy so if you if you're interested you can look at it and the research uh, on cryotherapy is a lot more extensive compared to some of the stuff on oxygen tents and you know when i was looking at one piece of research that reviewed 16 different studies in 70 to 80 percent of of the cases it, re, it you know significantly reduced muscle pain and muscle soreness so there's, you know, 
I've heard it, you know, to be very good. Um, particularly if you've got an injury, if you've got swelling, you want to get rid of some of that stuff. Um, and I think, I believe, you know, I know that you can do kind of, you know, spot cryotherapy, so to speak. So they can just blow, um, I believe it's the dry ice they use. I'm not sure. Um, please, I should have looked that up. But they'll spray it over your knee if you've got a bad knee, if it doesn't need to be the entire body. And I've, you know, we've got, you know, some guys that come in and do it out at our gym. And the research backs it up that, you know, if you can afford it, if you've got access to it, it can be very, very effective in reducing muscle pain. So, you know, if you can invest in that, you know, once, twice a week, um, maybe it's something that's worth considering. At least when I look at the research, maybe it's a little bit better than the oxygen tents. So as I start to wrap this up, then one other thing I want to talk about is light therapy. And there's a lot of discussion and research now around just exposure to natural light, exposure to sunlight, and, and in terms of production of vitamin D, um, infra, in, infrared light. I think you can get infrared saunas, but I'm not sure whether that's for the light exposure um, or not. Um, I have, uh, you know, it's, I believe it's called a blue light. I know we've talked about how negative blue light can be for sleep, but a blue light, um, first thing in the morning, it's a Philips blue light. I forget the exact model. Um, something that emits blue light uh, first thing in the morning and is very, very good for, you know, main, um, if you work indoors to get exposure to certain light and keep your circadian rhythms in balance, particularly during the winter. So I, I'm rattling through light therapy relatively quickly because I'm, I've not done a huge amount of research into it, but I know it's out there. I know there are discussions and topics going, uh, you know, discussions going on around how beneficial light therapy can be for your overall health and also potentially for, for recovery from exercise. So I just want to put light therapy out there and maybe it's something you want to research yourself and maybe I'll cover it in, in future episodes. Then the other thing I'll talk about, I'm only going to touch on this because I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to do a full episode on this and that's you know optimizing hormone production. And I talk about hormone production a lot through through all of these shows because it's so important to how we feel, how we recover. You know, one of the biggest reasons why it's harder, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why it's harder for us to recover from exercise when we're 35 as opposed to 25 is going to be the levels of, you know, for a man anyway, the level of, you know, t- levels of testosterone in the body. And what are the, the only point I would make on optimizing hormones would be that much of the stuff that I covered in the nutrition episode, which was episode nine, is geared towards optimizing hormones. So definitely listen to that if you haven't already. But if you if you re if you really want to dive into it, you can dive into it now. But that's that's something I'm going to dedicate an entire dedicate an entire episode to in the future. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about, and maybe it's going to surprise you that it's the very last thing, is supplements supplementation. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to say the same thing that I said in the last show. There's no silver bullet. There's no there's no one thing that you're suddenly going to take and it's going to, you know, help you to recover 20% quicker if you're getting the right macronutrients and you you know you're getting your timing your carbohydrate intake, you're getting enough protein, you're getting enough green veg. That's going to give you, you know, 90% of what you probably probably need. If you are going to look at, you know, supplements then maybe you know, cod liver oil is a good one. Turmeric is another good one. Um, and again, this is this is covered in the nutrition and uh, the nutrition podcast. But my honest opinion about more supplements is is go is going is going to be that 
your money is you know probably better off spent on on more food um on better food better quality food than it is for reaching for supplements um and i i purposefully don't talk about it too much because i think all of these all of these other things are going to give you a, a bigger benefit particularly just good core nutrition plenty of water and good sleep before you reach for that answer that's you know outside um you know it's going to cost you more money etc maybe i'll do an episode i think on supplements you know a full episode on supplements at some point in the future because i i think it does warrant a discussion but i i just don't want people to come away with the impression that you know you can you can train all you want and then you can go away and get the supplements and throw them throw them down your neck and it's going to be a magic magic pill that solves anything so that's why I'm not really going to talk about much much about supplements because that's my general opinion on them. But do your own research, and if you are going to invest money in something that you know promises to, to to light up your world, do a little bit of research before you spend your hard-earned cash on it. Is is the one piece of advice that I would give you. But other than that, guys, um, I would just reiterate that the the most important things when it comes to recovery are going to be, you know, what you give yourself. To recover from in the first place you can't train hard and train hard sorry you can train hard but you can't train hard all of the time your body's gonna it's gonna catch up with you and it's gonna catch up with your body so plan your training accordingly um and, and think about how you undulate your, your intensity and how you plan and you know and how you attack your week in terms of your jujitsu and your strength and conditioning the other thing is going to be good core nutrition. No, there's no magic. There's no magic food that's suddenly going to allow you to recover um, quicker. But just having good nutrition, and again, go back and listen to the nutrition episode if you haven't already. And other than that, you know, plenty of water and good sleep. And then the other things are, you know, there. Think about those after you do everything else. Is what I would say to you. Think about the core stuff first. Everything else becomes, you know, supplemental. But other than that, guys, um, I've, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed talking about it. Um, you know, I appreciate um, you know Duncan for you know giving me this recommendation, and other people have given me this recommendation as well. And apologies, um, I didn't keep a list of names, but you know, keep keep getting in touch. Keep letting me know, you know, what it is you want to listen to. What you know, what you think is good or bad about the show. What you'd like to see less of. What you'd, what you'd like to see more of. Um, you know, head over to bjjstrength.com while while you've got the time and check out the, some of the strength and conditioning programs that we've got on there, particularly the 15-minute strength program, which is it's designed to take away all of the all of the excuses for why you can't strength train to supplement your jujitsu. I think everyone can find 15 minutes twice per week to get a strength training um, routine going, and it will you know massively benefit how you feel both on the mat and off the mat. So head over to bjjstrength.com and, and check that out if you haven't already. Also head over to youtube.com forward slash bjjstrength and there's a lot more content going up in there. Um, as of late, you know, one of the really popular videos is what I see as the three most important exercises in strength and conditioning for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Check that out amongst the other content. But other than that, guys, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.